Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all. Some of you, I thank you. Some of you I know real well. Some of you don't know at all. I see some new faces here, so that's always exciting. Always a good thing. And uh, it's just great to be back here. I'm going to just briefly tell you a little bit about my ministry, the ministry I'm a part of, and then I'm going to preach. Um, I represent a ministry out of Finland, so it's not a U.S.-based ministry. It's a ministry based out of Europe, and this is a ministry that has three aspects to it. The first thing we do is we do what we call media evangelism campaigns around the world. We've done 70 cities so far uh, all over the world, uh, four cities in India, Nepal, Israel, um, uh, Erbil, Iraq, 30 cities in Russia, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan. I've done campaigns in, in Guyana, South America, Suriname, South America, and, um, and so it goes. And, and basically what we do is we gather churches together, cross-denominationally. They make a list of the best 30 life stories, testimonies from their culture, and then we help produce documentaries. So we do 30 testimonies, 24 to 30 testimonies, life stories that are then camera ready for television. Then we purchase television time on secular television, prime time every night for a month. And so every night for a month, there's a different life story on television with a website at the bottom and a phone number. The phone number is connected to a call center. So we train hundreds of people to staff the call center 24 hours a day, seven days a week during the campaign. And then we train people to do follow-up. And, and basically what we do is we, we print a book for every place we go. This is the this is the book that I printed in um, Suriname, South America, so it's in Dutch, and it's got 10 abbreviated life stories in it. This is one of the guys in life uh, that, that gave his testimony who, was, who is a um, member of parliament um, in, in Suriname, and, and so we have everything from, from members of parliament to, to this guy who, who was a murderer and was in prison, gave his testimony, so just, um, so... The book has 10 of the abbreviated life stories and then very simple evangelism discipleship materials. So basically what we do is we, um, everyone who calls into the call center then is followed up personally by someone who is trained by our people um, to actually take this book, go into their home, and our goal is to go into their home for four weeks and go through the book over a four-week period of time. We see thousands of people come to Christ. It's... it's it's, it's, you know, alongside of the, the um, life stories on television, there's all kinds of advertisement. We do billboards. We do full-page newspaper ads. We do television radio spots. And um, it, it is a wonderful, wonderful outreach. Uh, we just finished Suriname. I don't have the numbers for that. We did Mumbai, India this last year. We had 264,000 people call into our call centers in Mumbai, the second largest city of the world, so 23 million people. So a lot of people there. Um, where, whereas Suriname is, is, is uh, under 600,000 people for the whole nation. So we did not have 264,000 people <laughs> call into the call center in Suriname. But we did have thousands of people call in. And uh, people call, call in. Some are ready to commit suicide. Some are drug addiction issues or alcoholism or, or they've got cancer or whatever. So we pray for the felt needs right over the phone. 
then we then we actually have the privilege of leading people to Christ right over the phone as well, and then we do the follow-up as well. So that that's one part of our ministry. The second part is out of our studios in Helsinki, Finland, we do satellite television broadcasting into the Islamic world. So we bring people from all over Europe. We have little apartments there. They come in and for, for a whole week, and they do uh, programs. The last time I was in Finland, we had guys from Sudan who were there. And uh, they did, I think, 21 programs in a week. And, and it's a combination, music and singing and preaching and, and discussion groups and so forth. They do all kinds of things. And it's all based around the gospel. And uh, we do 850 programs a year. The, the DVD says 750. That was about a year ago. So things have upgraded. And we're just, we're just grateful. Um, uh, satellite television is kind of the new way of reaching unreached people groups. Because you go into a place like Iran. Well, they manipulate the internet all the time. But they can't manipulate satellite television. Because satellite television... Uh, is based on satellite dishes, and there's 75 million people in Iran, but there are 45 million satellite dishes in Iran, because <laughs> everybody watches satellite television in that part of the world. So um, we have found it being extremely effective. We get one to two million hits a month from that part of the world, and people are responding to the gospel, and we're just so, so grateful. The third part of our ministry, we are the only Christian ministry that has access to children's prisons in Russia. 70 children's prisons, kids between the ages of 10 and 17. Most of these are abandoned kids pushed out on the street, 10, 11, 12 years of age. If they're caught stealing bread, it's two years maximum security prison. These are not reformatories. These are maximum security prisons with guard dogs and machine guns and the worst of conditions. But, but God, by his grace, allowed us to go in about 8, 10 years ago and we began to do just humanitarian aid. The conditions were horrific for the boys. So we contracted with the women's prison system. They would sew the uniforms. We paid for them. Then from each of the 70 regions, we would buy socks and underwear and deodorant. And we're still doing that. But eventually, after about five years, they saw that we didn't have an agenda other than to help them. And so the prison system commanders actually said, we'd like to talk to the boys. And of course, our guys in Russia who are Russians, said, yes, I could never get into those prisons. Still, to this day, they hate the West. But they will work with our Russian guys. And uh, now our guys are going in regularly preaching the gospel, seeing hundreds of these boys come to Christ. So it's, you know, I'm thrilled to be a part of, of, of this ministry. It's not huge. I, I think worldwide there's only 40 of us. I'm, I'm the only guy U.S. I travel every Sunday somewhere preach somewhere every Sunday all over the country, and then when I'm not doing that, then I'm doing international work. So, Well, this year looks like um, we'll be doing media campaigns in Jakarta, Indonesia, Beirut, Lebanon, Tallinn, Estonia, Ascension, Paraguay. It's going to be my next campaign. So, um, yeah, so appreciate your prayers. Uh, Luke chapter 15, very familiar portion of Scripture. Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, God, for your word this morning. I thank you for the gathering of your people here today. I thank you for this church. I thank you for what you're doing 
in this church. I thank you for Big Bear Christian Center. I thank you for Pastor Rob and Shannon. I, I thank you, God, for the leadership of this church. I thank you, God, for not only its past, but its future. I thank you, Lord, that you are establishing good things for this house. And, and we just look forward to what you're going to be doing in the, in the months and the years to come in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I just pray now you will, you will take this very simple word this morning and I pray that you will minister it to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Um, in, in Luke 15, uh, Jesus, in the context of, of, uh, of uh, you know, the, the, the Pharisees complaining about him meeting with, with, with sinners and receiving them, uh, Jesus tells three stories, and the first story is the, is the story of the lost sheep, um, and the second one is the lost coin, the third, of course, is the lost son. Every one of the stories focuses basically on, on, on one major theme, which is God reaching out to us. How many are grateful that God reached out to you? Thanks be unto God. It's not just us coming to God, it's, it's, it's God reaching out to us, and um, the context, as I said, of these three stories is verse 1, tax collectors and sinners drawing near to Jesus, and, 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 and that's in the continuous present tense. So, so it means that these, these tax collectors and sinners were over and over and over and over again attracted to Jesus. There was this magnetism between sinners and Jesus. What a, what a beautiful thing. And we could ask the question, what, what motivated what motivated them? What, what attracted them to, them, them to Jesus? It's quite amazing when you think of the most soiled of that society were, were attracted to the most holy. Huh? You know? So Jesus didn't build walls between him and, and sinners. Instead, there was, a, there was a beckoning. There was a welcoming. There was a sense where they felt comfortable around him. And we see that in Matthew chapter 9 when Jesus actually chose Matthew to be one of his disciples. And Matthew was a tax collector and, and he brought his friends, you know, his tax collector buddies. And, and the sinners all came in. And, and, and again, the, the Pharisees were very, very, uh, very concerned about all this. But, 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 but we see in, in John chapter 17, uh, Jesus said, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, speaking about us, but that you keep them... From the evil one. God, God has not called you to be isolated. He's not called you to separate yourself from contact from the world. Jesus never did that. But he wants you to be insulated. Where you're not impacted. But you're not impacted by, by, by the sin. Jesus was not impacted by the sin. You know. He was around sinners. But, but it didn't impact him. He was insulated from it. And we need to be insulated. And I, you know, it's important for us. I, we all love Christian fellowship and, and, and sitting down and, and, and having a good time of fellowship is wonderful for all of us. But, you know, God has called you to more than that. He's not only called you to Christian fellowship. He's called you to invite unsafe people into your home. He's called you to go out for coffee with unsafe people. He's, he's called you to, to befriend people who don't know Jesus because God is very much concerned about a lost world, and if we're not careful, we isolate ourselves, and we put ourselves aside. I want us just to pray right now. Would you just bow your heads with me? God, I just pray that you will help us. Help us, Lord, to break down our walls between us and unbelievers. 
the fears that we might even have. God, I pray that you would insulate us, but not isolate us. And I, I pray, oh God, that, that you would use this church in Big Bear this year to reach many, many people for Christ. We pray that every empty seat in this house would be filled not only by people who are moving into this community and wonderful Christians, but also people who, have, who right now do not know Jesus. And we, we claim them right now in the name of Jesus. We pray that, that, yes, even hundreds of people would come to Christ through the ministry of this church. God, may it be so. May this church be known for loving sinners. Hallelujah. God, we hate the sin. We hate what sin does. But we love the sinners, Lord. You love the lost world. You love the sinners. That's why you sent Jesus. And God, I pray you'll help us as well. God, over and over, remind us of the fact that you've not called us just for fellowship and discipleship. You've also called us to reach a lost world for Christ. Thank you, God. May it be so in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. All right. So, you know... In this message, we'll, we'll be praying together a couple times, all right? Okay, so here's, here's this simple story of the younger brother in Luke 15 and verse 11. And the story begins with, with the son, the younger son, giving a short and shocking request. He basically said, I want my inheritance and I want it now. You know, and, and in that culture, you didn't get your inheritance until dad died, <laughs> you know. And uh, the younger son would get one-third. The older son would get two-thirds. Uh, but the younger son said, I don't want to wait till you die. I don't want you. I don't want your life. I don't want to relate to you, but I want your money. I want, it, I want what's coming to me. And so I want you to give me my inheritance. It was disrespectful. It was arrogant. It was selfish. It was self-centered. Uh, to ask a living father for your inheritance was wishing him dead. And uh, that, that was the condition of this young, young man and the condition of his heart. And there was, this was an intensely patriarchal society. Um, tr traditional response back then would have been to drive the young son out and basically say, and don't look back, <laughs> you know. Uh, and, and, and the guys who work for me are going to follow you. And if you try to come back, we're going to kill you. That would have been that society. But basically, the father does not disinherit him. Instead, he takes probably some of his lands and some of his holdings to get one-third of, of all that he owned. And, and later on in the story, we see actually that he actually did divide everything because the older brother... He tells the older brother later, everything that I have is yours. So, so basically, he gave the one-third to the younger son. He gave the two-thirds to the older son and basically said, the farm's yours now since I paid off the younger son. You can imagine the pain the father felt, the heartache the father felt in this context. And I want to I remind you of something today because I think it's important for all of us to be aware of it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28 says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so we may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may, may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit 
by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, which is arguing, be put away from you, along with malice, and be kind and tender-hearted, and forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. I know that in the life of, yes, many Christians, the issue of anger and harsh words and angry words is a stronghold in people's lives. And I want you to be aware that when we give room to that in our life, we are causing extreme pain to God. The same kind of pain this father felt with a son who says, give me everything I own, I'm leaving you. The same sense of rejection he felt. When you give yourself to anger and you allow that to be a part of your life, you are causing the Holy Spirit pain, grief. I want you to see that. I want, I want that to be just embedded in your heart and in my heart. There's not a one of us here that can, can say, I've never gotten angry. <laughs> I mean, the reality is, is that we've all, we've all known the reality of it. But some, for, for some of you that are here today, the issue of anger is a stronghold. And, 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 and all those that are around you are scarred by your words and your actions, and I just want you to bow your heads. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise your hand. This is between you and God. But if you're given to anger today, I want you to repent of that right now. Don't excuse it. It's, it's nobody else's fault. You can't blame anybody saying, I wouldn't have gotten angry if. No, no, no. No. You were responsible for your own actions before God. And God is putting his finger on your life for your sake and for the sake of those that are around you and say, give it up. Repent today. Ask his forgiveness today so that you can walk in the way God wants you to walk. God, right now, we pray for people in this house, not somewhere else, but right here at Big Bear Christian Center this morning, who have made room and have justified anger and hurtful words in their life. We repent today. We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit anymore. And we don't want to hurt those that are around us anymore. We ask your forgiveness today in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for it, God. We thank you for the cleansing of the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. How many are grateful God forgives? Gives us new beginnings. Thanks be unto God. So here's this young man. He's full of energy and excitement. He breaks away from parental control. How many remember those days? He, he cuts himself off from his family relationships and from his identity. He takes all of his inheritance and cash. He intentionally uh, gets as far away from home as he can. He sets aside behavioral patterns. He's learned at home. He recklessly squanders his inheritance. He blows it on everything. He blows it on everyone carelessly. And his project is to unsun himself. I wonder if he ever thought about home in those days. But in verse 13 and 14, we see in, chapter, in Luke 15 that two things happen, happen simultaneously. One thing is he ran out of money and friends. Now, how many know that those weren't really friends? And by the way, there's a lot of lonely people in this world. There's a lot of lonely Christians in this world. You know, we have a lot of acquaintances. I've got a lot of acquaintances. And I've got some one-way friendships. Some of you know what that is, where they never call you, but you call them. How many of you have, have one-way friendships? <laughs> right? you know, you know, and, and you stay in their life because you know it's right. So, so you, you keep calling them, even though they never call you. you know? 
You know, and that, that, that's the way it is. But then, but then every once in a while, not very often, but in our lives occasionally, God brings a friend who really cares about us, who really wants to spend time with us, who really understands us, somebody we can pour our heart out to, somebody that, that we can be honest with. And, and, and I, I thankful, I'm thankful that our spouse can be that person, but I'm thankful also that, that, that we, most of us need more than just a spouse to be a friend. We need somebody else to be a friend. And, and this morning, if you don't have a true friend, you've got acquaintances, you've got one-way friendships, you got, but you don't have anybody that really cares for you. I just want to pray for you this morning. God, right now, I pray that in this house, people that are lonely because they really don't have a friend. God, would you bring a good friend into their life? Would you bring somebody into their life that really cares for them, that is really interested in their life? God, we need that. And I pray that you will do that in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You probably haven't ever heard a sermon where you've had so many prayers during the sermon, but that's just the way it is. Okay. I don't normally preach this way, but this is this, is this message. So, so he runs out of money. He runs out of friends. He runs into a famine. Those two things happen at the same time. And uh, how many are grateful for famines in your life? <laughs> Nobody raised your hand, but let me tell you, <laughs> for many of you, it was famine that brought you to Christ, right? It was difficult times. It came to the end of yourself, and, and life was miserable, and, and, and God was gracious, and he said, you know, I'm going to put the screws on because this guy or this woman needs it to come to me. And that's exactly what happened. So he finds himself in the bottomless pit of disgrace. He's at the lowest, most degrading position possible for a Jew. He's feeding pigs. And, and the scripture actually says that he joins himself to this farmer. Well, it doesn't mean that he joins himself. It means the actual word in the Greek is that he glues himself to this farmer. I mean, there was no welfare. No, no, there was no Social Security checks. There was no welfare. There was nothing. I mean, I mean, if you didn't work, you didn't eat. And, and this guy knew if he didn't get a job, he was going to starve to death. And so he, he thought, I, I'm just going to glue myself to this farmer. Some of you remember those days where you were so desperate for a job, you just kept going back. I want this job, and I'm going to keep bugging the guy that, that hires until they finally hire me. How many of you have ever done that? Done that? Yeah, a lot of you. Me too. I remember those days. I said, you, know, you know, he finally hired me because he got tired of me coming and asking for a job. You know? and, and that's what happened with this, with this young guy. He just kept going back. Finally, the farmer hired him, and, 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 and uh, breakfast was so bad that the slop that he that he fed the pigs looked better than what he got for breakfast. So, I, I mean, this, this is a mess. And then Luke 15, verse 17 says, And when he came to himself, when he came to himself, the, the term coming to yourself is, is literally, in the Greek here, it's a term that applies to people who've lost their minds. There's, how many know there's two kinds of passion? There's good passion and there's bad passion. I got, I got, passion for my wife. That's good passion. I've got passion for the work of God, for Jesus. You too. That's good passion. But then there's bad passion. And bad passion does bad stuff to us. It twists our thinking. 
It causes us not to see things clearly. We see things in a distorted perspective. That's what happened to this guy. He was controlled probably by a passion to be on his own, have a lot of money, do what he wanted to do. He probably bought a Harley, you know, and bought a, a $3,000 uh, guitar and had that strapped to his back and thought he, that life was going wonderful for him. You know, passion distorts reality. He lost sight of all that he had. How many, how many, how many guys have, how many pastors, let me put it that way, how many pastors have given everything up for a one-night stand? Stupid, huh? Right. Lost his family, wife, children, legacy, ministry, future, for what? Nothing. How many thinks that's insane? But that's what passion does. Passion manipulates, controls, is powerful. And Satan uses that stuff to distort even godly people's minds. And you know what you need to do when that stuff comes in? Because it comes into all of us. Jesus said he was, in, he, was, he was tempted at all points like as we are yet without sin. So that stuff came too. But we just need to lift up our shield of faith, with the, which the scripture says will quench what? All the fiery darts of the wicked one. I don't care what it is. If you will lift your shield of faith and say, I stand against this in the name of Jesus. There's been times I have, I've had to wake myself up from a dream that I knew was not from God and stand against it and say, I am not going to receive this in the name of Jesus. There are times thoughts comes into my mind, sometimes right before I preach, and I say, I, re I reject that in the name of Jesus. I am not going to allow that to have control in my thinking. But when we begin to embrace those thoughts, and some of those thoughts are tintillating, some of those thoughts make you feel important or, or, or feel powerful or whatever, those are the ones that we need to say, I am not going to allow them to gain a, a stronghold, a root in my life. And that's exactly what happened in this guy's life. Passion. So he comes to himself. And I want you to understand that his coming to himself did not begin with repentance. It began with remembering. Remembering the Father's house. Remembering the love and the mercy. We sang about it this morning, didn't we? The mercy of God, the grace of God. Remembering the love and the mercy and the grace of the Father. You see... When we have gone off into a far country, Satan will whisper, well, no, he will not whisper in your ear. He will roar in your ear. And he will say, forget about it. Don't, don't even try to go back home. Don't even try to return to God. I mean, it's too late. Just, just forget about it and keep living the life that you're living. But this guy began to remember and and if you're here, but you're in a faraway land spiritually, you need to remember the grace of God. You need to remember that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You need to remember that if I will repent, God will forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And this guy began to remember. And remembering brings not rejection. It doesn't bring despair. It brings amazing hope as you begin to remember who God is. And how gracious God is, how kind God is. And so Jesus says in Matthew 11, he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And you know, and I know as well, 
that our laboring oftentimes is self-inflicted. We do it to ourselves. But Jesus says, come on, come to me. I'll bring healing into your life. I'll restore you. I'll forgive you. I'll make everything new. Just come. So he does. <laughs> he begins to go home. And, and, and as, he's, as, 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 as he's going home, he's, he's already in the process of repenting because he's, he's put the speech together, you see. You know, he, he's got it figured out. He knows exactly what he's going to say. You know, and so, so he's got the, the, the wonderful words of repentance. How many know that words are important? You know, you know there's, the, there's the old story of the, of, the, of, of the Scandinavian who got married. You know, they're kind of stoic, you know, and the old Scandinavian got married. And, and ten, year, 10 years later, his wife said, why, why is it that you never say that you love me? And he said, well, I told you that when we got married, and I'll tell you if it changes. <laughs> you know? You know? <laughs> I mean, you know, that doesn't work very well. <laughs> Repentance involves not only warm thoughts, it involves words, words. So we're going to practice something this morning. Some of you are sitting by your spouse, which is perfect. Some of you are sitting by possibly your son. That's perfect. Some of you are sitting by somebody you don't even know. That's okay. That's okay. Okay, I want you to look at somebody. Would you look at somebody across the aisle from you? Look at somebody. Come on, eyeballs. You know, not, not, not looking at your shoes. Look at them. All right? And, 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 yeah, you can look all the way across. There we go. All right. All right. So, so, so look at somebody right now. Okay, this isn't going to be painful. All right, and it's not dangerous, so here we go. I'm not going to ask you to say something that you'll regret. All right, this is it. Are you ready? I was wrong. Come on, some of you aren't doing it. I know this is, this is hard. Some of you have never said this in your life. I was wrong. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? Hey, that wasn't too hard, was it? You know what? Those are... Those may be new words for some of you here today. <laughs> I mean, you know, because why? We resist humbling ourselves. Huh? I remember when my kids were small. Now they're 40, 38, and 35. But when, when my kids were small, I remember having to get down on my knees in front of my kids, you know, looking them in the eye and say, hey, you know, you deserve to be disciplined, but I got angry at you, and that was not right. Will you forgive Dad? And you know what kids do. Oh, they throw your, their arms around you and they forgive you right away. Repentance involves words. Words. Use them often. Why? Because you blow it often and so do I. Don't be proud. God resists the proud. But he gives grace. He gives grace to people that are willing to humble themselves. And this guy was in that position and so he, he brings together this this speech is going to give your, his dad. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. Okay, that's very good theology. We see it Old Testament, New Testament. We see it Achan when he, when he hid the gold and the Babylonian garment and he's caught in Josh, Joshua chapter 7. He says, I've sinned against heaven. Man, it makes it pretty big when we realize we've sinned against heaven. Okay. David said it in, in Psalm 51 concerning the Bathsheba thing. I've sinned against heaven and against you. Peter said it in Acts chapter 5 when he's dealing with the Ananias and Sapphira. 
And he said, why, why did you do this? Why did you manipulate the facts and say you were giving something when you weren't? Why did you do you You weren't lying to us. You were lying to God. And you see, the whole issue of sin, there, it, there's a wall that we build in our life against yielding to sin when we recognize, hey, I'm not just sinning against my brother. I'm sinning against God. This is between me and God. And I need to be careful. And, and so this young man goes home with that in his mind. When, when I see my dad, I'm going to fall down before him and I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against you, but I've also sinned against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Neither are you. Neither am I. You know, the scripture's clear. None are righteous. All have turned aside. Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. But aren't you thankful for the love of God? Romans chapter 8 says, neither life nor death nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things, nothing, 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 nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. And so he's going to go home and he's going to say, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And then he says, make me like one of your hired servants. I don't even, you see, slaves lived on the property. Hired servants didn't live on the property. They lived off the property and they got a small wage. And I'm sure in the back of his mind was, it's probably going to take me the rest of my life, but I'm going to start paying off what I, what I took from you and, and abused. So I'm going to work for you the rest of my life. But I, I, I don't even deserve to live on the property anymore. So he starts home. And I'm sure as he's going home, he's, he's reviewing all of this, you know? It's going in his mind, and he's thinking, okay, I don't want to forget any of this. And he's, 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 he's almost home now, and he's, he's down the road, and the father happens to be outside. And he looks down the road, and it must have been the way the, the son walked. And he saw him, and the scripture says something. The father ran to him. Now, our culture is a little different. Patriarchs did not run. Running required you to take your robes and tie them up and bare your legs. And no patriarch was going to bare his legs and run. They wouldn't do it. I mean, that was, that was humbling. That was foolish to do that. But this father tied up his robes and ran to his son. No one comes to God unless the father draws him. I am so glad the father ran to me and to you. I am so grateful that when the Holy Spirit convicted you and me of sin, it was God running to us. I'm so glad He didn't say, okay, if you want to come home, I'll wait. And if you want to come, I'll just wait until you come all the way to me and you humble yourself and you say the right stuff and I might consider it. No. The father runs. And as the father runs, he, he hugs him and he kisses him. He shows him emotional affection. And the son begins to talk. I've sinned against heaven, against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And at that point, the father stops the conversation. He wasn't even able to finish his, his, uh, uh, his report he was going to give to his dad. He wasn't able to finish it. And the father says, bring the best robe. You know what the best robe was? It's his robe. You know what God clothes you with? He clothes you with his robe of righteousness. Not secondhand store robe of righteousness. His robe of 
righteousness. And then he said, bring the ring. Put it on his finger. Spoke of authority. He could do business in the Father's name all over again. I wouldn't have done that. I would have said, okay, prove yourself. I'll give you six months. If you're still like this, I might think about the ring. But not today. But grace says the ring today. And then it says, he said, put shoes on your feet. And the shoes spoke of the fact that he was no longer going to ever, ever be considered as a hired servant. Only sons wore, wore shoes. Servants were barefooted. So he was basically saying, I am removing your shame. Let me, I'm almost done here. It's a good thing. It's 11 o'clock. All right. Now, there's lots of Christians who have accepted God's forgiveness and God's restoration, but live every day with the shame of what they did. Five years ago, 10 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago. And God wants to remove the shame. Let go of it. Now, the other side of the coin is, you know, there is sowing and reaping, right? We don't, we don't just go out and say, it doesn't really make any difference because I can come back to the Father and ask forgiveness and everything's wonderful and he's going to forgive me and everything's, everything's great. Because the reality is, is that young man lived with the reality of what he did the rest of his days. There was a grief, there was a pain that was in his heart, even though the robe was there, the ring was there, the shoes was there. You pay a price when you decide to walk away from God. Don't do it. It's not worth it. But if you're here today and you're feeling the shame of your sin, God is saying, I want to remove that today from you. So one more time, bow your head. Father, today I pray for people within the sound of my voice who, even as I mentioned it, they saw it all over again. They felt it all over again. They felt the shame. They felt bad about what they did, about what happened, and how stupid it was, and how ugly it was, and how destructive it was, and it haunts them. I pray that right now, this morning, you would lift the shame. They would feel the shoes coming on their feet. The robe is there. The ring is there. But the shoes are now there. The shame is gone in the name of Jesus. We receive the completed work of forgiveness this morning, cleansing this morning, new beginnings this morning in the name of Jesus. We accept it today in Jesus' precious name. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just, just this morning as I wrap this up today, there's in your heart just this sense of, I am responding to the grace of God in my life today at whatever level it is, but I'm responding to God's grace, God's running to me, God's mercy. I'm embracing it today with all of my heart. Would you just raise your hand to the Lord? I'm not going to ask you to come forward doing any of that, but you just, you're just receiving the grace of God for your life. God bless you. Yeah, yeah. Even as I preach it, I, I receive it all over again from my own self. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. We receive it today, oh God, and we walk in it. We walk in it today. We rejoice in it. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a clap offering this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.